Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. But I'm pumped to start this new series, Promised Land, with you all. And I'm really excited about this for a whole variety of reasons. First of all, um, Promised Land, we're doing something, uh, kind of new experiments with this series. Uh, we always do the same series, and no matter where you're worshiping at Community Hub, at the West Campus, at the East Campus, at COH Espanol, or online. However, with Promised Land, what we're going to do is we're going to do the same series for all ages at all campuses and all languages. Kids of Hope is doing Promised Land. Student ministry on Tuesday nights at East Campus and Wednesday nights here at the West Campus, they're doing Promised Land. We're doing Promised Land of the Week at COH Espanol is doing Promised Land. You're online, you're getting Promised Land. Everybody is all staying together in the same scriptures, the same messages, and the same general thrust of that. Isn't that a cool thing? Yeah. So if you have kids, if you have students, you guys can all go home together to talk about what you're learning in whatever particular environment our church has for worship. So it's an exciting thing. So um, go ahead. If you haven't already, go ahead, grab your Connect folder and pull out this little business card that was in there. This is kind of a memory theme card verse that we have for you all. There you go. And so uh, the, what we tried to do, if you're new to our church, uh, we tried to tie one scripture verse with each particular sermon series. We think it's a helpful spiritual practice that when you memorize and internalize verses of the Bible, something transformative happens on the inside of you, that there just seems to be God's grace attached to that spiritual discipline and memorization. So this is for you to memorize, put it wherever you would hold on to it. If you're streaming online, you could go on our website and download an, um, an iPhone or Android if you're one of those people using Android. <laughs> it's a joke. Come on. I'm tired. I'm sleep deprived. Roll with me. If you use um, a smartphone, you could download a graphic with the same verse on there. I digress. Okay, so this is from 2 Peter 1, verse 4. Let's read this out loud all together as one church. Ready? Go. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So what we're going to be doing as one big church family is we're going to be looking at, over the next four weeks, the promises of God. And how when you learn to maybe take a step of faith to believe that maybe God's real, and that maybe He's actually benevolent and loving towards you, towards me. And that maybe what he says about himself and the promises he makes are true. When we learn to take a step of faith to trust those things, something transformative begins to happen in your life and in you. When it says we get to participate in the divine nature. We're going to be studying the promises of God. So our material for the whole servant series is actually going to be the book of Daniel. Now let's talk just for a minute about Daniel. Here in our church, we um, let's say if you are new to the Bible, or maybe you're new to church, or it's been a long time since you've stepped foot in a church, uh, we don't assume that everybody knows all this stuff. 
we, uh, we like to help people just figure it out, even if you don't know anything. So here's a little bit about the book of Daniel to help you wrap your head around this. We don't make assumptions that everybody is religious and is all sorts of stuff. We just meet people right where they're at. So um, if you're new to the Bible, new to church, Daniel is a book in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible. It's part of the Hebrew scriptures. Um, Daniel is traditionally understood to be written by the namesake of the book, Daniel. It's written in two languages, Hebrew and Aramaic, but thank God it's only in English for us. <laughs> There's 12 chapters in the book of Daniel. The first six are stories about Daniel and about his three friends that we're going to learn about here in just a minute. It's narrative. At chapter 7 through 12, the final six chapters, the whole genre of the book changes. It goes from narrative stories to apocalyptic literature. It reads like the last book of the Bible, like the book of Revelation. So if you were going to try to read through Daniel in the sermon series, maybe to just try to get into the Bible more, you're going to feel a little bit of whiplash when you hit chapter 7. And promised land, we're only focusing on the first six chapters of the book of Daniel. We're going to look at four stories over the next four weeks. So that's a little bit about the book, but let's get context for the story for what's happening in the story of God's people and in Israel in this time frame. The year is 586 BCE. 586 BCE. Because of generations of disobedience and generations of walking away from God, the scriptures tell a story of a narrative of how God allowed the Babylonian Empire and the king of Babylon, who was named Nebuchadnezzar, to come in and to invade the southern kingdom of Judah and to invade the city of Jerusalem, where God pretty much in essence told all the people of Israel after hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of years of him begging and pleading with them to please just walk in my ways and follow me. It's better for you. It's good for you. Help me help you. And they said no to God for hundreds of years. God said, fine, have it your way. You can have it without me if you want, because God's a perfect gentleman. He will give you exactly what you want. If you say no to him enough, he'll give you what you want. Now, God allowed the Babylonian Empire to come in, to invade Jerusalem, to invade their city, to sack their city, to destroy their temple, and tragedy of all tragedies, the entire people group of the nation of Jerusalem and the southern kingdom of Judah, all of them were made captive prisoners of war of the Babylonian Empire and were shipped out of Jerusalem, out of Judah, as exiles all the way to Babylon. An entire nation of people. Wrap your head around that. Here's a map of the Babylonian exile. So from Jerusalem to Babylon... Scholars say it's about a 900-mile journey that would have taken four months to complete. An entire people group sent into exile. Now, if you go to Priceline.com and you try to get a travel package to go to Babylon, um, you won't be able to find it. Babylon doesn't exist anymore. It's been lost to antiquity. But if you want to go look at the ruins of Babylon... It's about 58, 59 miles southwest of modern-day Baghdad. It's in modern-day Iraq. And so this is just to give you, wrap your head around and your frame of mind around what's happening here. They had to go the long way around because of the mountain ranges. That's just people had to travel in the ancient world for the landscape. And so here we are. We find ourselves from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, you may not have caught on to this, 
But don't you think it's ironic that we're calling this series Promised Land when the Hebrew people and the Israelites are no longer in the Promised Land? Isn't that interesting? We want to pose a question here today that what if, what if the people of God, even if they're not living in the promised land, but they're living as exiles far away from God's promised land that he gave to them, what if even far away that you could still live as people of the promise living in exile? Here's what that means to you in Palm Beach County. Some of you came in here today definitely feeling you are not living in the promised land. In fact, some of you think like, yeah, I'm not living in heaven on earth. I'm living in hell on earth. Some of it's not my own doing. Some of it's been inflicted upon me. Some of it is my own doing and my own choices. And I am living in the residue of some of those painful situations that are going on. I'm not in the promised land. The series is for you. Because even if you're feeling like you're living as an exile, away from God's promised land, God's promises are true for you here and now, even in difficult situations. This series is for you if you're going through stuff. So I digress. Let's jump into Daniel. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. It's on your screen, on your notes. If you haven't got your sermon notes out yet, I encourage you to do that. Verse 1. It says this, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into, the, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put the treasure house in, in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring to the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. I almost named my daughter that. (laughs) (laughs) To Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Verse 8. This is our key passage for today. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. So the title of today's message is called Welcome to Babylon. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I believe that that you have something to say to us here today. Not I have something to say, but Lord, you have something to say to us. And much like um, fresh bread straight out of an oven, I believe that you have a fresh word for people here today, for hungry hearts and hungry souls and people who just need you. So Lord, I believe what you promised 
when you said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Lord, feed hungry souls. Give living water to those who are thirsty here today. We need you. It's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. All right, so the passage we just read can be summarized in three words. And this is really what we're going to be talking about today. Three things. Culture, Daniel, and God. Culture, Daniel, and God. I'm just giving you the roadmap right at the beginning. This is what this passage is all about. Culture, Daniel, and God. So let's jump in. Let's start with culture. Culture is very important in this passage. And even though the word is not used, it's really what this passage is all about. King Nebuchadnezzar was a very wise and cunning leader because what he's trying to do is to enculturate all the young Israelite men into the Babylonian culture because he knows that this is a very powerful tool as a leader. He's trying to have them learn the Babylonian language. He's trying to have them read the Babylonian literature, which is surely their, their philosophical worldview and all sorts of founding documents they had. He was trying to school them in their way of thinking. He changed their names from Israelite names that honored the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and who we understand to be the father of Jesus Christ. He changed their names from names that honored God to names that honored the Babylonian gods. He took items from the temple in Jerusalem, totally ransacked it, destroyed the temple, and then put those items in the temple of his God in Babylon. And not only that, he was trying to culturate them as well with food and with drink and employing them to be a part of his service in Babylonia. This is all about culture. Now, more than just Bible nerd trivia, here's why this matters to you. I want you to know first off that culture surrounds us. Culture surrounds us. What is culture in the first place? Well, the Cambridge Dictionary says this, culture is the way of life for a particular people. It's shown in ordinary behavior and habits and attitudes towards each other, towards moral and religious beliefs. It shows up in a lot of different ways. Culture is a lot of different things. For instance, some people say, well, are you a cultured person? <laughs> what they mean is, are you highfalutin? Do you love art and do you love going to the symphony? That's what cultured person. Well, that just, that's just high culture. That's not all of culture. It's just part of it. Then there's other parts of culture, which are trends and fads and fashions. That's part of pop culture. Part of it, but not all of it. Sometimes people think culture is an ethnic identity of a group of people and their practices. Well, that's ethnic culture. That's part of it, not all of it. Some, it's also not just that, but it could be your values, your ideas, your beliefs. That's part of a political culture. That's part of it, but not all of it. Culture is most basically this. It's whatever people do and whatever people are at work with to make of the world that they've inherited. Anywhere you go, anywhere on earth, you will see what people have made of the world that they are living in. That's called culture. And it surrounds you. You don't have an option to be in it or not. You just are. You don't have an option to breathe air or not. You just are. Culture absolutely surrounds you and envelops you and envelops me. You can't escape it. You're in it. 
Now, more than just it surrounds you, here's what else you need to know. Culture surrounds us, but culture also deeply influences us. Culture deeply influences us. See, culture is not just this massive scale national thing that happens in our nation or in the Western world surely has large implications like that. But culture is even something as small as a family. See, every single family and the family you were born into has a culture for better or for worse that was deeply influential on you. Students, if you're in middle school, your middle school has a culture for better or for worse. Your high school has a culture for better or for worse. Your college, if you've gone to college, has a culture for better or for worse. If it's Florida State, it's definitely for better. <laughs> it's coming. Football season's coming. It's coming. Put the U down. Okay. Um, where you work has a culture for better or for worse. Churches have cultures for better or for worse. Everything has a culture from a small scale to a family to a large scale of a community. And eventually all these cultures together make a culture of a city, which makes a culture of a state, a culture of a nation, a culture of even something like Western civilization. Culture surrounds you and it's deeply, deeply influential. Culture's like water. It's like flowing. Our culture is always moving, always flowing. So is water. So when it's like a river. When I think of summertime, I think of rivers. The first thing I think of is, ah, oh, lazy river. It just sounds so nice. Where's my lazy river people? Yeah, growing up, going to the water parks in Tampa, I always wanted to go down the big slides. And now that I'm older, I'm like, oh, the great lazy river sounds so nice. I'm like, no, I'm old. I saw a great picture of a lazy river that says nothing to do with the message. It's just funny. Here's a picture of a lazy river in Texas. Do you see it? You see it? Yeah. It's just awesome. God bless Texas, man. They got it right. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I know. God bless Texas. There you go. Okay. Right. They get the idea. Now, culture is not like a lazy river. It's more like this type of a river. A river with a current, a river that flows, a river that goes somewhere. That's what I'm trying to say. Our culture is influential. So you could be in a river with a current that's flowing. You don't have to be in a canoe. You don't have to have a paddle. You can just be in it, and it will take you places all on its own. How many of you have ever thought to yourself or said this to yourself in a tough situation? I don't know how I got here. I'm telling you. A part of how you got there, especially the painful places in your life and some poor choices that you've made, we've all made, you know, I'm not judging anybody. Part of how you got there was culture took you there. That's part of it. It's deeply influential. Now, trust me, there's parts of culture that is good, that's beautiful, that's redeemable, that's helpful. And there's also part of a culture that's broken. That's fallen. And because culture is made by people, and all people are broken and sinful and fallen people, made in the image of God but broken by sin, because of that, the cultures we often make are broken and fallen. And you know where 
widely speaking, where that river flows, it flows often in any culture anywhere in the world, often away from God and from his ways. Often. And you could be in it, not even swimming with it, just being in it, and it will carry you and drift into places you don't want to go. Nebuchadnezzar understood the culture was influential and tried to put the Israelites into that river to take them to a place where they didn't want to go. Daniel recognized this. So that's culture. Let's talk about Daniel now for a few minutes. Daniel recognized this. Now, Daniel was wise. He understood there's parts of culture that are okay. Daniel engaged his culture. If you read on later in Daniel, in chapter 9, you could see that Daniel is reading from the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah said this, prophetically speaking to the people of Israel, knowing they were going to go into captivity, knowing they are going to go into Babylon. This is the instruction the prophet gave to everybody who is leaving Jerusalem, going to exile as a prisoner of war, into Babylon. This is the attitude you should have when you are in a foreign culture. The Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those that carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon... Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And so what does Daniel do? Does he go and say, this is a pagan culture that's broken and sinful and just sticks his nose up at it all? No. Daniel says, sure, I will learn your language. Sure, I'll read your literature. I'd be honored to serve the king of Babylon. I'll be honored to be in the king's service. He says yes to all these different things to seek the good and prosperity of this city that he's in because if they prosper, it means he prospers. It's, the, it's from God's own lips to do that. And so he engaged his culture. He engaged it. Since I've been up late at night, and like I told you, I'm a little sleep deprived and I'm on way too much caffeine right now. Um, I've been rewatching The Office on Netflix. Does anybody here are fans of The Office? Okay. So for those of you who aren't yet a fan of The Office and you're totally missing out, but um, here's the story. It's basically a sitcom about people in an office and their relationships, and everybody's a character in The Office. Well, there's a character who's a real stick in the mud, and her name is Angela. Oh, Angela. Angela is uptight, um, judgy, mean, critical, out of touch, and they paint her as a faux Christian in the series. And so this is their perception of what Christians are like. What are Christians like? Well, they might be like Angela. So one time they're playing a game where everyone's having to stand outside in a circle because a fire alarm went off at the office. They said, if you're on a desert island, what three books or three movies would you bring with you? Great idea about like literature and movies. It's part of culture. What would you bring with you? Gets to Angela. Angela, what would you bring? Three books or three movies? I would bring the Bible. Angela, don't, don't, you have two other books. The Bible's all I need. <laughs> Angela, we can't bring the Bible. You can bring something else. Fine. The Purpose Driven Life by Pastor Rick Warren. 
is just a mean stick in the mud, not engaging with culture, shunning culture, shaming culture, rejecting culture, isolating and hiding from culture. Newsflash, nobody likes Christians who act like Angela. Nobody does. If you're not a church person, you're visiting or you're streaming online, you're not sure about this whole Jesus thing, and maybe church people hurt your feelings a long time ago and whatever else, you know this better than the people here who come here all the time. Like, yeah, no unchurched person likes Angela. Nobody does. Because Angela's a stick in the mud and not engaging the culture. Not you and not Daniel. Engage the culture. Now, but that's not all that Daniel did. Daniel engaged the culture. Daniel, at the same time, while engaging parts of the culture that he could, also refused to compromise his faith on other parts of the culture. He could say yes to learning their language. He could say yes to learning their literature, to working for the government, to serving the king. He could say yes to all these things, but he said no to this. In verse 8, you might have caught this. He says, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, this is strange, right? Maybe Daniel just really doesn't like Babylonian food, okay? Like, has anybody ever put a plate of food before you that's different? You go, that looks disgusting. I will not. My dad, hi, dad. My dad's streaming online right now. I didn't ask you about this. Sorry. Uh, my dad... He grew up in a classic 1950s Americana home where for dinner was a piece of meat, potatoes, vegetable, and a roll and a glass of milk. And that was dinner. Spaghetti and meatballs was considered ethnic food in my dad's home growing up. Okay? And so my dad, he's certainly not a picky eater, but if I want him to, he comes here, I'm like, Dad, Dad, you know this, Dad. Oh, Dad, we, we got to go to this great Thai food place. There's this thing called Penang Curry. That's so good. No. Okay, da, 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 da. there's this Indian restaurant that's so good. Have you ever tried pan bread, pan bread? Oh my gosh, it's the best. Oh, we got to do vegetable korma. Dad, get vegetable chicken korma. No, we are not doing that. My dad just doesn't like it. That's okay. This is not what Daniel's doing. It's not about taste. Long story short, in ancient culture, in some places in the world still today, food is tied to worship. And when sometimes their religious practice was to tie food to their God, and so when they would eat food from the king's table, the king had already offered it as a form of worship to his God, and so by him eating the food, it would mean that he would be worshiping another God. Sounds strange, because we don't do that widely in Western civilization, but this is still a rule in play for Christians today, Acts chapter 15. Even Christians are still not to eat food sacrificed to idols because it's a form of worshiping another god. Daniel says yes to all these good and redeemable things that are okay, but has to draw a line in the sand where he says all these other things are are okay for me to engage with culture, seek the prosperity of my city, but I have to draw a line in the sand here go, this is where to engage in this would to be sin. And I love my God too much to sin. And let me tell you guys, drawing a line in the sand, say yes to God and to no to the pressures of culture, that's hard. That's hard. 
It's hard if you want to live for God and obey him. It's hard to say no to other things that are putting pressure on you. It's hard if you're a single person, young or old. It's hard if you're a single person and you want to live with purity when the whole world tells you that you're crazy for waiting till marriage to have sex. That's hard. That's hard. It's hard when you live in a place like South Florida and Palm Beach when our contentment is with the joy of the Lord and not in what type of house we live in or car we drive or truck we drive or shoes we wear or outfits we wear, and I'll offend everybody if I keep going long enough. (laughs) It's hard to live simply when our whole culture says you are what you have. It's hard to live with integrity in your business, to live with honesty and truthfulness and not to cut corners. When all the rest of South Florida is cutthroat with business, it's hard to be a person of the truth and honor in your business. And I could go on and on and on. It is hard to say no to culture, but yes to God. It's difficult. There's a million different applications. Our society has so much pressure now on what we believe and what parts of what we believe are what's offensive to society or not offensive to society and what our morals are or our ethics are or our worldview is and how dare we think or say or believe some of these things. There is pressure. It's hard to say no to those but yes to God. It's just difficult. Amen? Amen. Why would anybody ever want to choose to do the hard thing versus to just go with the current of culture. Here's the promise for today. Everything I've said is for this. Why would you say no to culture but yes to God? Because God always, always, always blesses obedience to him. God always blesses obedience to him. Daniel, when he went and said, I'm not going to eat the food. Now you could read it in the passage. Daniel was diplomatic without being dogmatic. Daniel was not Angela. Okay. (laughs) Daniel went to the official said, I, I, my conscience is objecting to this. Is there a way where we can do something else? And Daniel created a test to say, what if me and my three friends ate only vegetables, none of the food from the king's table, but ate only vegetables and water, not the food, not the wine, and test it in 10 days to see if we're healthier and stronger or if they're healthier and stronger. The official said, fine, go for it. 10 days later, Daniel 1, 15. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. Now, some of you are going, there it is. It's in the Bible. Plant-based protein, Pastor Trevor. (laughs) Now, now there may be merit to that, but that's not the point. The point is they were doing a fast that God honored. See what I mean? 
because God blessed their obedience. Because when we're obedient to God, we say yes to God and no to a current of culture. Guess what? God shows up in that decision. God often vindicates that decision. God vindicates it in the sight of everybody. And even if everything comes crashing down and falling down because you said no to something, but yes to God on the other side of it, there will be a blessing. Jesus said this in Luke eleven twenty eight. Jesus said this, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. When I have ever trusted God enough to take him at his word and obey him, he has always blessed me. Every time I have ever honored God with my finances, ever, God has always blessed me. Anytime I've honored God with my body, God has always blessed me. Can I say it? Any other time I've honored God with my sexuality, God has blessed it. Can I say the hard things? Okay. Anytime I've honored God with my speech, with my relationships, with how I live, God has always blessed it. It was hard and difficult in the moment, but blessing comes. You want to be in on the blessing of God on your life. You want this. You want this. It's not only what's best for you, but there's a blessing in it when you say yes to God and no to the current culture. Now, not only that, God not only blesses your obedience and you have something in it for you, there's something in it for others. God will bless your obedience and he will use your obedience. Daniel, later on, this is how the chapter ends with the story. After all is said and done, Daniel 1, 19 and 20, the king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. And every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. These four exile Jewish young men are all of a sudden catapulted onto the cabinet of the world's superpower at the time. Influence, and they begin to change the current of the culture. If you choose to say yes to God, he'll bless you, but he will use you to transform the world. It's outside these walls. And some people want to change the world and do great things for God. Let me tell you, out there, they'll tell you to make a real difference, you have to be a rebel and to break all the rules. But let me tell you, the last rebellion left is to obey God because no one else is obeying God. The only rebellion that's left, if you're doing the rebellious thing, you know, like whatever else that looks like, I can name a million different things, you're just being a conformist. If you want to really stick out and really be a rebel, say yes to God and he'll use it to change the world and to change everything. So friends, listen to this. Dare to obey God. Dare to be countercultural. Because this is just the people God uses. First Peter 2, 11 through 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, there it is, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day 
He visits us. Amen. And this is a perfect day to end our service with communion. Because at King Nebuchadnezzar's table, whoever ate the food and drank the drink from King Nebuchadnezzar's table, in Daniel's words, were defiled by its sin, by its worship of false gods. But at Jesus' table, when you come to this king, and when you come to eat the food from this king's table, and drink the drink from this king's table, it doesn't defile you. It makes you clean again. So that's what we've come here to do today. We've come here not to be people who beat on our chests with how religious and righteous we are. We've come to beat our chests and say, God, I'm a sinner, and I have compromised my faith, and I have said yes to wrong things. We've come to seek the forgiveness and mercy of Christ here today. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? Just take a moment, just you and God, in the silence of your heart, I invite you to confess your sins to God. This is a moment now where God's mercy is here in this room to forgive of sin, to pardon of any sin we brought in this place, of any guilt, of any heaviness we brought in here, and to make us right with him again. So go ahead, confess that sin to God. The Apostle Paul wrote that while we were still sinners, that's when Jesus died for us. And it proves that Jesus loves you. So therefore, in the name of Jesus Christ, you and I, we are all forgiven. Amen. Amen. So in the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He blessed it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. Take and eat and do so in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink and do so in remembrance of me. So loving Father, we give you thanks for all the mighty and wonderful things you have ever done. But the greatest one of all, the, the substitutionary death of your son Jesus on the cross for our sins and his resurrection from the dead for our forgiveness and eternal life that begins now. Thank you, God. Would you pour out the Holy Spirit on this bread and on this juice? Make it be for us the body and blood of Christ and pour out your Holy Spirit on all of us gathered in this place that we would be the body of Jesus for a world that needs the hope of Christ. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to have prayer teams available at the front here. So if you need to come this way before you go that way, please come get prayer. They'll love to linger and talk with you and pray with you about anything. But friends, otherwise, prepare your hearts to receive this benediction. 2 Peter 1.4 Through these, he has given you his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, escaping the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Go participate in the promise of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.
Go in God's peace. We'll see you next weekend.